Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. Most of the people that listen to American Family Radio, when they go to the polls and they vote, they're looking at pro-life candidates. I'm glad they vote right. But I want to tell you, uh, there's even more to be done. And today... Here on Exploring Missions, we're going to look and talk about possibility of where you could minister in the pro-life movement. And it's not just pro-life for the child that is unborn, that will be born, but it's also pro-eternal life for those moms that are carrying those precious children. So we're looking at that today, and I'm excited about it always Look forward to January, Sanctity of Human Life Month, and and we just praise God for what he's done. Nathan, uh, you know, when it comes to life, uh, those of us that are connected here at AFR, we want it, we believe in it, but it is refreshing to be with people who are on the front lines uh, dealing with it, isn't it? It is, and God is about, God's the author of life, and he's about um, life lived to the fullest, and um, many people uh, don't always experience that. They don't experience God working in their life because they haven't surrendered their life to him and, and following Jesus. Um, and there's consequences of trying to live life in our own way. And it, part of that consequence, of course, is, is not living real, genuine, full life. And so when you talk about pro-life, I think it needs to encompass all of the things that God uh, looks at. Amen. And, and especially in following after him. You know, I, I, I was, I'm faithful even today, and I was faithful, pro-life during that month of January, Sanctity of Life, Human Life Sunday. I, I was going to make sure to have a message. But the Lord convicted me to add something to that, and that is purity. Uh, the desire for purity in, in boys and girls, men and women's lives. Uh, if, because that is the greatest uh, movement that you can make in pro-life, that every child that is born is born to a to a mom and dad in, in, in marriage, but not all of them's that way. But it still doesn't hurt to hold up the standard and the desire. Uh, it should not hurt people. It should challenge them and say, maybe I didn't do it, but from now on, and I'm going to share others, that's what they need to do. So, you know, it, it's, I think that's the part that you're talking about, Nathan, yeah. it's life uh, from from the very conception to the end of life and us living that way. Well, we have two guests today that I, I'm glad that are with us. One of them is Danette Becker. Danette, it's good to have you. It's good to be here. And Danette is a a great lady. She's a friend of, of my wife's and just one of our dearest friends, family friends, and we appreciate you sharing. And you work directly with a, a ministry here in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, tell us a little bit of what that ministry is involved. Okay, I work with Parkgate Pregnancy Center here, and one of the things that we do is we offer parenting classes for first-time mothers, and they are 
um, they come for eight weeks, and what we try to do is we try to educate them on labor and delivery. Uh, we educate them on breastfeeding, and for a while we were doing things, um, just teaching them how to take care of their babies. But I realized that they can get that information from the hospital nurses. They can get that information online. But I realized that some of the things they can't get many times are God's principles for rearing children in this world. And I really felt led. We have a wonderful director, and she gave me pretty much carte blanche to go and do what I wanted to. So I designed a program with 26 biblical principles on how to um, bring up children. Well, we're going to come back to those, at least some of those. Uh, sounds like that might be good for everybody, not yep. just uh, single moms, you know. And so we're looking forward to that. Our other guest today is someone that's been with us here on, on Exploring Missions, and she is an employee of AFA and uh, over on the journal side. And to let you know, she edits some of my letters that I write. Uh, Danette would be proud of that because I've told Danette, if I'd had teachers like her, I would have not made the dean's list. I would have not have made all those. There'd been too many red marks in my papers I had to hand in. I, I love the I love those tests that were multiple choice, true and false, where you did not have to write a whole thing. One time, I, Danette knows this, Ann, but one time this teacher asked a discussion question and I gave everything and then she put she gave me half credit and I went to her and asked her why didn't you give me the whole credit I got everything here so she said Bert this was not a listing question it was a discussion question and I said oh you just wanted the fluff and she it didn't improve my situation any but uh anyway so we have to speak with proper English today at least the I'm best telling we can. you what these two they know it and uh, if it, if it I, again, this is something. Had had it not been from an English score on ACT, I could have gotten scholarships. I'll put it that way. <laughs> that English score isn't that biblical though. God's chosen the foolish things of the world, and when it comes to speaking and writing, Amen. Bert yeah. Harper, uh, God. You think it's bad now? You should have known me when, okay? Well, I'm just glad he has you, Ann. <laughs> and I, she volunteered to do that, and I appreciate her doing that as well. Ann, tell us about your what you do here at the Journal. I, I meant at AFA. I already gave it away. <laughs> well, I write for the AFA Journal, which is AFA's American Family Association's print magazine. And then we also have uh, the blog site, which is afa.net slash the stand. And so I write... Um, usually weekly, uh, for the, the online blog as well. And tell us what you do concerning uh, the pro-life movement. Uh, about 10 years ago, I started leading post-abortion recovery Bible studies. Um, and that was prompted um, by going through that Bible study myself. Uh, and interestingly, um, it was when we moved here, which is about 10 years ago, and I actually did not think that I needed to go through a post-abortion Bible study because um, when the Lord um, really started working with me, when I first began my walk with him, um, he just started walking me through many of the steps of healing just in relationship with him. Um, and, you know, actually, if I look at a Bible study, I was like, wow, God did that. God did that. God did that. You know, but there were a couple of components that um, were very important. One was that I still had a pocket of unforgiveness that needed to be addressed. And then the most important, I would say, is that I had not grieved the loss of my child. And so that was an extremely important component of that post-abortion recovery. 
Well, when we look at this, Nathan, God, usually God has to touch your life in a program that Nathan and I did earlier. We were talking about refugees and immigrants, and you know that. But then when Nathan uh, moved to Atlanta area and started knowing these families firsthand, it really brought it down to where you yeah. where you live. Sounds like same thing happened in your case. I mean, here's you had experienced this, right. and you needed you needed healing, right? Right. And that desire for healing brought you to going through this, and God didn't leave it there, did He? Uh, absolutely not. When we, you know, it, it, it's much like the salvation experience. You know, when we experience when we're rescued out of darkness and brought into the light. Well, we want everyone else. To, to experience what we've experienced. It's right along those same lines. When I experienced um, just that very thorough process of healing, and obviously we, um, I'm sure you've talked about the statistics before on this program, that um, it's about one in three women in the United States who have experienced abortion. And at least one in four in the congregations right. you know, that we, we preach to. Right. Um, so having that knowledge You know, I'm thinking about when I go to the grocery store, when I go to church, um, you know, wherever I go, there are women around me everywhere who are still living in that darkness, still living in that shame, still living in that guilt, and they don't have to. So I want to do what I can to help them um, get out of the darkness and into the light. Amen. Well, Danette, tell us about your journey to to being a part of Parkgate. I know you've been pro-life, but Mm -hmm. you know what it is to lose a child, but it's a little, not necessarily abortion. And I, I bring, I think you would share that a little bit because we have women that hurt over the pain of miscarriages, don't Absolutely. we? Well, for years, um, after we lost our first child back in 1977, every April 17th that rolled around, I grieved. And even after we had two children, I'm still grieving. And then one Sunday during Sanctity of Human Life, Sunday, where you were my pastor, you had white roses on the altar. And you ask any woman that had ever lost a child through abortion, through miscarriage, or whatever the situation, if you wanted to come to the altar and bring a rose in memory of that child, you could do it. Well, my husband knew I was going to be out that pew the minute you said that. And I cannot tell you the healing that that brought, because back in my day, people didn't know what to do when you had a miscarriage because, oh, well, you know, it wasn't really a child. They didn't think because we didn't have the scientific uh, technology. You never held that child. But to me, it was our child, and I grieved deeply. And the healing that happened that Sunday was incredible. And um, sometimes now on April the 17th, a couple of days will pass, and, and I realize you know, I wasn't grieving that day. Mm. And um, so that was that was very helpful mm. for me. And and that really gives you some empathy for someone that's lost mm-hmm. a child, regardless of why. Definitely. And so what brought you to the point of doing what you're doing at the Pregnancy Center today? Well, our church um, brought in several different ministries um, at a women's conference, and Parkgate Pregnancy was one of them. And so I went, I just didn't know, have, I didn't have any idea what I was going to end up doing. I just went to go through the training to say, I'm here because I so believe in pro-life issues. And I can't even tell you exactly how it happened. All I know the next thing is I'm shadowing a lady 
to teach parenting classes, and I've been doing this about four or five years, and uh, it is also something that my husband and I can do together. I just wanted to bring that in. I, I know Jeff, this is Ann's, she, he supports her, and uh, just, I mean, you know, here we say Jeff and Ann, you know, <laughs> it, it's just they go together. You and Alan go together, and tell us a little bit what he does. I know he supports you. But he's a he's kind of a hands on kind of guy anyway. So well, if it wasn't for him, we probably wouldn't get the PowerPoint connected every week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the thing that I love about having him there is sometimes we are so blessed to have some of the dads to come to the class uh, with these young mothers. And my husband just has a wonderful way of encouraging them, just putting his arm around them and kind of joking with them. And I think it just kind of disarms these young men to see another man there and to see someone that's willing to just come alongside them and uh, support their decision to give life. Nathan, when I hear that, and, and we both know Danette's husband, that that would be here. Some of the men are, are there. Yeah, we can do this. We're not maybe articulate in, in expressing, but the support that men how for their wives to carry out and find out what their ministry is is important especially in this oh, definitely, area definitely any type of any mission that mission ministry that god is equipping and calling uh, a spouse to do it involves the other spouse as well in some capacity um, whether it's you know support and encouragement uh, prayer uh, more might be more hands-on but uh, you know god he doesn't just call individuals. He calls families and, and, and units and groups. Um, and so especially this uh, type of uh, ministry that we're talking about, um, a lot of times men are kind of left to the yeah. side on this, uh, but it's it's really critical and I think very important to include as many men uh, in, in the church and, and godly men as possible in this. We were looking at a passage of Scripture in the book of James, uh, to tell us a little bit about a foundation of ministry that we should have. And uh, Nathan, uh, yeah. you and Danette were talking about that and sharing that. It's so important to have a biblical base for what you did. Danette, you were talking about the things that the hospital could teach that they wouldn't be able to teach. And you mm-hmm. saw that and you did something with it and developed these principles. But the book of James, I think, does set a pattern for us. Yeah, James 2, uh, 15 and following talks about how um, faith and works go together. And verse 15 says, if, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat well, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. So voting is great, but God may want pro- voting pro-life is great. Amen. Amen. But God may want you to go further. God wants you to go further, right, Ann? Amen. And in doing <laughs> so, it brought you to the point of you experiencing this. You experienced what it was like for the child, loss of the child. Mm-hmm. You also experienced what it was for the guilt and then the healing. Right. And God led you to share it with others. How long have you been doing this now? Uh, it's been between nine and ten years now. Um, and one of the things I just feel compelled to, to talk about a little bit is um, one of the things that I have, a couple of things that I have noticed um, in leading many women through post-abortion recovery is that <clears throat> almost 100% of the time, 
the women who have experienced abortion, no matter what the situation was, and there are so many different situations, um, have actually led a number of women through who were who did experience rape. Um, it's a higher percentage than the figures that are out there in my experience. I think a lot of women just don't talk about that. Um, but that almost 100% of those women wish that somebody would have told them, you don't have to do this, and come along, not just in words, but come along in a physical way and said, hey, I'm almost like, you know, this is how I think of it. Um, when we have a little child um, who is um, misbehaving and, and making wrong choices, well, we will do anything to, to help that child to understand what is the right the right way for, for him or her to turn. And I know with my child, I had a strong-willed child, and there were times when I literally is, just had to. I didn't know there was any other kind. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I had two strong-willed children. I get it. Um, so I'm, I'm yay. I didn't mean to yay, get you No, I get yeah. it. Yay to those of you who don't have ch- uh, strong-willed children. I, I'm with you on that, Brother Bert. Um, but there were times when I literally had to just, like, uh, um, embrace my child in a way that was – um, not not a soft embrace, but a very tight embrace. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of women who are in a situation where they feel this pressure from every side, uh, they feel they do not feel that they have a choice. They feel that that is their only choice. And they need somebody to come alongside them. And I feel, Danette, that's kind of what you're doing in that situation. You're taking them and you're just grasping them. You're embracing them and saying, hey, you can do this, you know. Did you have to overcome some pre, uh, con, you know, uh, what your thought, your previous thoughts were to get into that ministry and or look at them? You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't be in this situation. Or did you look at them and say, "Hey, except for the grace of God, so go." I which one? No, I looked at it. Firstly, um, to whom much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. And my life, yes, we've had struggles, but. Um, never faced anything like being a single mom with the possibility. I've had um, some young girls who've come in, they have no place to go because mm-hmm. family has kicked them out, said, you know, we're done. And thankfully, we have churches in our area that are willing to open up homes to bring these girls in. Um, one of the things that I love about the ministry at Parkgate is, I mean, it's non judgmental. I think if if you had a judgmental heart or attitude, you would not, you know, be a part of Parkgate at all. And the way I look at these girls is just with, I hope, with the compassion and the love of Jesus Christ, because they come in so many times and they are scared. Mm. Um, I mean, I've had um, one young girl as young as 14 years of age, and there's no way you can look at her but with compassion. Mm. And, and love. How old? Four, 14. 14. And the father was 13. And it's, you know, those kind of situations are real. And so many of them, they don't know when they first come in and they look at me what I, I think sometimes when they first come in, they look at me and they're a little bit judgmental, not knowing how am I going to um, embrace them. But that's one of the things that my husband and I try to do the very first meeting. We're very hands-on. We're hugging these girls. We are. Um, we just want to be their cheerleaders, but we want to do it with the love of Christ. And we want to do everything that we say to them. We want it backed up with Scripture. So many times people say, well, 
you know, you, you get a driver's license book and you get driver's license training, you get hunting license, you've got a book and you have to um, go through a course to get those licenses. But when it comes to parenting, we have a book. We have a great instructional book, but sometimes there's not a teacher there. If you're listening, she's referring to the Bible uh, <laughs> as that instructional book. Definitely. The Bible's amazing. Nathan and mm-hmm. I've talked about this on Exploring Missions. We look at it, look at the Bible as a missional book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always saw it as a book of salvation. I always saw it as his history, and then I taught, I thought about it. it tells a book on instruction for living. I agree with all that, but it's also missional. So what you ladies are doing, you're taking the Bible and its teaching principles and taking them, the other area that the Bible teaches, into the missional work mm-hmm. of saying this is where it is. Uh, are these girls that y'all deal with, are they attending local church or were they attending local church or is this kind of an outreach opportunity? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. In my experience, um, the great majority of the women who have come to me, yes. Um, not only are they attending church at the time, but they were actually attending church when they had the abortions. And and so they they probably already have felt some condemnation and guilt. Right. And um, this is really um, a grievous statement to make, but many times these, you know, usually young girls, when when they had these abortions, um, those who uh, coerced them, who facilitated those abortions, oftentimes were leaders in the church. Okay. You think shame because of shame? Yes, and and one of the, the, the really sad things is, you know, when women go through post-abortion recovery, um, we try to encourage them um, to get, you know, obviously we want to get want them to get through uh, to such a place of healing that they can actually speak about it. It's part of the process um, that you are so confident that God has forgiven you, that he's washed that slate completely clean and forgotten about it that you are free to talk about it because you don't have any shame attached to it any longer. Yeah, that's similar to the 12 steps. 12 step right. at, in a in a recovery group right. is r- helping others. Right. So, uh, Oftentimes you know, they're not uh, able to, Brother Bert, though, because there's someone in their life, a mother, father, uncle, someone who helped them, who may, many times coerced them, pressured them, facilitated those abortions, and there are people who are serving in the church. And that healing hasn't taken place for those other individuals who facilitated those abortions. So you're talking about, and again, I'm a sin, quote, the sin, mm-hmm. and it has ripples that not only affects people, but affects ministries and right. relationships Absolutely. and everything. So it's not a standalone uh, Absolutely. issue, is it? We focus on the women, but it's so much far reach, so more far-reaching than that. You know, you mentioned one-fourth of women who are in the church have experienced abortion. If you start looking at um, that, that ripple effect, as you described, think how that number enlarges. Well, I, I know women, and, and because I'm going to, on Mother's Day, I am going to preach a message on what God desires. I try to do it in love, try mm-hmm. to do it, but the Word of God not only heals, if you haven't experienced that healing, it, it there's conviction, right. and, and there's a difference in conviction and guilt, and I, 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 we're going to try Absolutely. to uh, distinguish that, Nathan. Help me in a moment to try to distinguish that, 
but but Danette, in yours, yours is hers is those women that have had the abortion. Those these are the women who have chosen to keep their children. Are they out of church, in church? Are they in church while this is going on? Well, it's probably about half and half. Um, a lot of my girls don't attend church anywhere, and a lot of them are there every Sunday. And I think the thing that might surprise people is I have girls from every um, economic stage. I have um, girls that from educational backgrounds that are, you know, they've been to, they're in college. Um, I mean, it, it just runs the whole gambit of uh, economic and educational and um, um, racial backgrounds. And so, of course, my desire is, and the very first thing I will tell, very first class, um, I let them know right off that everything I tell them will be through a Christian worldview. And I have my Bible. I tell them I'm not going to cram it down their throats, but they need to know that that's how everything that's presented to them will be um, through God's Word. I also want them to know from the very beginning that they have a soul. And this precious child that they're carrying has a soul. And there's only one of two places that you're going to spend eternity. And um, one of my heart's desires is that at the end of some of our parenting classes that someone will come to me and say, tell me, I want to know more about this Jesus that you serve. I bring that up, Nathan, because, again, this is exploring missions, and we're looking at missional can you think of a better money to invest than in a crisis pregnancy center when it comes to reaching these girls? And they come from all strata, too. Uh, they can be people that, uh, you know, they hadn't been in America long. You can imagine what it's like in a more metropolitan area, those girls that come come there. It's a great way to do missions, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, I, I think we're called to— not only reach the nations around us and the neighbors among us, we're also called to reach the next generation. And, uh, you know, this can include all of that. Yes. And, you know, we're, um, you know, God is, this is something on God's heart. And so when we, uh, our heart is turned, tuned in with his, uh, I think we're going to, he's going to call us to be active in, in, in this. And so for some people listening, this is a, a good opportunity for you to uh, engage in, in what God is doing through there's local uh, crisis pregnancy centers all across the country and uh, probably where you're listening there's there's one nearby and you know there's a way to get engaged and get involved there and I just, guarantee you they love volunteers well you're talking about how people can get involved one of the things that we do uh, we have one minute so go ahead and share that quickly well is they can bring diaper bags, they can bring diapers, they can bring um, baby clothes for our baby closet. Amen. So, so it's opportunity. Mm -hmm. The difference in guilt and conviction, the guilt comes from people, the conviction only from God, but his conviction is loving. Amen. His conviction is come unto me, all ye that are weak and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll take that abortion that you did, and I'll forgive you, and I'll set you straight so you can go and live life. I can take you for what you are and let God work. This is Exploring Missions on the American Family Radio Network. Nathan Harper, Burt Harper with you. 
thank you for listening today, and we pray that God would lead you to get involved in missions.